Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode's interview is with Lars Stahlgaard and is produced in cooperation with Vivolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. Welcome to this episode of Robots in Depth. Today I'm here with Lars Dahlgård from uh, uh, the Danish Technological <laughs> Institute, which is a um, combined research and applied sciences institution. Uh, so we're going to talk about the projects they do there, but let's mm. start in the beginning. How did you get into robotics? Why are you doing robotics right now? Well, it was a, a bit of a coincidence, actually. I, I started a, a degree at university here back in the 90s, uh, which was actually more focused on creating an engineering degree with a uh, higher level university on uh, math, physics uh, and computer science. And that slowly evolved basically as, as the years went by into two robotics uh, as we got more and more courses that were relating to robotics. And th this was mainly due to uh, a huge um, effort by the then steel shipyard here that, that uh, together with the university started up the, the Linux Center for Applied Mathematics, looking into welding robotics. And as more and more people got into that, we got more teachers that could teach these courses. And as, as the degree I was in was, was quite, uh, how to say, fixed. We didn't have much um, freedom in choosing courses. So you could basically choose a, a robotics track or a robotics track. So, so <laughs> we chose a, a robotics track. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and combined with, with summer courses uh, where we students would go and, and rebuild remote control cars, introduce more racing cars, uh, simple LEDs and line following. Uh, it kind of took speed and, and I ended up doing my, my master thesis at the end of the 90s in a in a modular robot, actually, uh, for educational purposes. It was used in some other the teaching projects. Um, yeah, cool. For, for students. Getting robots in the hands of students of all ages is just fundamental. Yeah. So you started uh, that way, and then, then you went on to work permanently here at the Institute? Oh, no, that was not for, for a lot of years. Okay, so that. let's follow um, the story along. <laughs> full story. Just before finishing my, my final thesis, I was uh, approached by a small two-people company doing mm. uh, big mobile robots for outdoor nursery gardens. Mm. Uh, it was a company called Manox, and that was back in 2000, I think. Uh, and they were looking for replacing one of the owners at the time uh, for a worker, and, and uh, I got the position. So we were two guys that were basically building uh, huge 200 kilo mobile robots that could transport 200 potted plants uh, from a potting facility and then place them on the ground. Uh, that was the concept anyway. Mm. What kind of plants were they? Were oh, they ev everything? And that was mm. turned out to be quite a challenge uh, because this particular gardener we were working for, uh, we actually had a customer at the time, mm. had about 200 different types. Mm. Uh, and the principle we had for putting plants on the ground was uh, relying on uh, a plane that was slightly tilted. And the higher the plant, mm. the higher the risk that they would tip over. So ah. we, we learned the hard way about design requirements. Uh, mm. We did uh, a lot of good work and we made a lot of progress. Uh, I think we were fighting a lot, uh, changing requirements, and we were not uh, old enough, had not e enough experience to actually you know, draw a line somewhere and say, no, we can't do that. 
and learned the hard way that you sh shouldn't solve hardware, mechanical hardware problems in software. Mm. And that's mm. what we ended up doing. So mm. in essence, the company didn't, uh, didn't last. Uh, mm. we, we were almost there, but only almost, no, yeah. not good enough. And the robotics is challenging from that perspective that almost a robot is no robot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, to a larger degree, I think that's true for robotics than it is for software. Uh, a software product can be valuable even yeah. though it isn't complete, but a robot has a more challenging time doing that. Yes, exactly. So uh, then you went on from, from that company? Uh, I was hired as a research assistant at, uh, at university, uh, mm. working on the, an European-funded project called Hydra, where we were building uh, self-reconfigurable modular robots. Which is my pet field, I just love it. Called uh, the Atron modules, small mm. blue ones, mm. uh, where I also worked closely with, with Espen from Universal Robots and then Kasper Stoy, who's now at uh, IT University in Copenhagen. Mm. Um, so I was doing that for, I, th I think, a year and a half. Uh, and then I went on to be uh, a teacher at the engineering college here in Odense as well, uh, teaching automation and robotics for a couple of years. Mm. Um, and then for, for a time, I had this gut feeling basically that, that there's something wrong with robotics because they are, you, you see a lot of industrial manipulators out there, but you don't really see uh, any real new types of robots on the market. You see a lot in the university test grounds in the labs, but they never really get out there. We, we tried with the gardening, or the mobile robots in, in gardening, so that uh, it, it didn't really work. Uh, Atron modules was clearly a, a research project, so there was a barrier somewhere. Um, and I started putting together the pieces a little bit and of how I saw the world and, and what was wrong with it. And, and part of it was that, that people, especially in robotics, failed to have a, a system level perspective on robotics. They saw the technology, but not how to put it to use. So uh, together with a professor uh, that was at university and, and still is, uh, John Hallam, uh, I cooked up a PhD proposal for um, basically looking at system level design of robotic systems to see how can we actually take the technology and move it into the market, what is required. Um, and I applied and I actually got the funding for it, but only half of it. So university at the time said, sure, you can have it, but uh, you have to find the, the last part of the funding. Uh, and then it just so happened that I, that I met up with, with Klaus Rieser from uh, Danish Technological In Institute that is now at Blue Ocean Robotics. Uh, and he said, why don't you do an industrial PhD, which is basically a funding program we have in Denmark where you're hired by a company to do your PhD work and then the government basically co-funds about half of it. So mm. it's a very yeah. lucrative program, basically. Yeah. So the, the, the company provides half. The government perhaps half and you do the work. Yes. And yeah. then obviously you have to, to juggle being hired by a company at the same time as mm. doing a PhD, which mm. where the, the requirements may also be a little bit challenging. But now again, mm. uh, done a lot of experience in requirements handling. It mm. was, uh, that's the deal. And mm. uh, it's a very mm. good program. Mm. So, and that was basically it. I, I worked with, uh, I took about four years, finished my, my PhD, mm. uh, worked a couple of years more here as a consultant and is now mm. the, the team leader of the the, the service robotics. Mm, mm. So that's the short story. Yeah. And the definition of service robotics, uh -huh. uh, what's your definition? When you say you're team leader for service robotics, what kind of fields are you looking at for those robots? It's the non-static ones. So, so mobile platforms. Mobile platforms in, in general. So yeah, mobile robots, AGVs, call them what, what you, you wish, drones, uh, and potentially later on also underwater or, or surface vehicles. Mm. Uh, and the word service in that is, is 
professional service um, is, is a distinction we make. We, we are not very much into to personal home care robots. I mean, it is something we, we may look into, but not at the moment anyway. Mm. So, so for us, uh, probably counter a bit to, to the definition by the International Federation of Robotics, there are a lot of definitions out there to us. A service robot is something that can be operated by unskilled personnel. Uh, and that's a major difference to, to other types of robots. But anyway, that's our working definition of it. It helps. It's, it's, you need to have some kind of explanation when you communicate with people. So yeah, you yeah, can explain what you're doing because saying you do robotics is, is uh, difficult, right? So you do service robotics and people have a, think they have a better idea of what you're doing, but then again, not really. So you always mm -hmm. have to accompany it with something. And the professional service robotics is, uh, is it's used in a work environment, not in a home and private environment. Yes, mm. but then again, mm. I mean, it, it depends, right? You could have a cleaning robot that mm. is used for cleaning office buildings as a mm. service robot, but what if someone brings that into your home and mm. cleans your apartment? Is it then a... I don't, we, mm. we don't work very much with these definitions. Mm. Mm. Uh, Could you, so, so now you've been doing this for a while and I'm sure you've done many interesting projects. Could you give us an overview of some of the projects you've done and what you learned from them? What was the challenges and uh, what you learned from those challenges? Mm. Well, the basic idea of, of uh, the Danish Technological Institute is to be a service institute. Uh, but for companies, for the industry and Danish society in general. So we're a non-profit uh, organization um, doing both research and development, but also innovation to a large scale. So we are measured, our success is measured by how well we help the companies around us and the industry by taking knowledge from universities, collaborating with universities, uh, generating new knowledge and research, and then bringing it into the real world and making it, say, operational. Mm. So, so what we do in service robotics is exactly the same, but with service robotics, that means our, our goal is to make service robotics operational, but brings them into, bring them into use and, and uh, do good for, for people, society or, or companies. Mm. And that you get from actual use, not, not test cases. No, exactly. It has to be out there every day. It has to be out there, as yes. you say, with, with, with non-PhD. What we usually yes. talk about is PhD-ready robotics, where you, yeah. you buy the robot and you get a PhD student that with it. That makes uh, very, very good sense, yes. Yeah. And we want to move away from that to, to the technology being so ready and so mature and, and intuitive and well-designed that, that anybody can reasonably quickly learn how to use yeah. it and employ it and in their business. This also applies to, to smaller businesses that today wants to start to use robotics. Yeah. Uh, they don't have the enormous resources that a larger company have, um, and they might not, al not also have the size of the problem mm. a large company have. I mean, they're not Audi that's supposed to build a line of, of, of cars for 20 years. They have a small problem, they have little time and resources, but they want to use robotics. Yeah. So, what, can you talk a little bit, you, you, you try to get them out there, you then have to have a partner in whatever industry you're working mm. against. Can you talk about the relationship between you and that partner? How do you find them? Do they come to you and say, I would like to use robotics in my business, can you help me? Or are you going out there finding them, trying to apply the technology? Or Can you talk about that? Mm, sure. Um, there, there are several different ways of, of approaching this. Sometimes we are approached by uh, a company uh, has a specific problem. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, let's say, at a, a seminar venue uh, where we, we, we hear someone talk about a problem that is unresolved and we spot it that way. Sometimes it's uh, reading a scientific paper. Uh, it can come from a, a lot of angles, uh, basically. But, but what has to be 
the key driver for getting it started is that we can see uh, a business case both for the, the companies that are in it or, and or for ourselves. Uh, mm. Can we build up a service based on this that we can sell to a company afterwards? Um, usually we will have a, a Danish company, a partner in a, a project setup. I mean, if we take aside from pure commercial work, but do R&D setups, has to be a, a Danish company involved uh, mm. because that also helps the knowledge transfer and, and gives us uh, a dedicated um, use case and, and business case, otherwise the company wouldn't be in the project. No. Um, Their participation is kind of a receipt on the fact that they, as a domain expert in whatever area, yes. judge it to be uh, likely that this yeah. could have a positive outcome and that means you can believe in it and uh, funders can believe in it and, exactly. and it becomes easier. Exactly. Yeah? And it, it can be a, a technology provider, mm. uh, it can be a system integrator, the Danish partner mm. um, and, and of course it can also be an end user and sometimes it's all three and, and sometimes it's just only one of them that they, it depends on the type of project and it doesn't matter which category they fall into no, as long as there's somebody there that's okay it has to be a match obviously between the the, the problem we're addressing the, the the partner constellation of course the funding program and mm. these things before you write a proposal mm. um, one that we have now in, in service robotics is with with uh, mobile industrial robots Mia uh, making the Danish small mobile robot mm. uh, so we are in a consortium uh, with them uh, and 26 other partners it's, it's a larger European project. Yeah, <laughs> coordinating that has to be very hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who's, the, who's doing the coordination of that? It's exactly a, a company uh, linked to the Technical University of Braunschweig in Germany. Yeah, so I'm better them than you, I <laughs> presume. <laughs> that 26 different partners. Yep. We, we hired in a, a project coordinator from there. So yeah, that was smart. I'm uh, thinking that's it's a tough. It's that a was tough well job. spent money, I yep, think. Exactly. 26 different partners. And these partners come from all over the world, or is it Europe? Europe? All it's European you. projects, yeah, uh, usually. Yeah. So we have uh, quite a, a large distribution in, in that project as well. Mm. It's a different. It is not a project we're focusing on one case. There's, there's mm. several cases in a project like that. So, mm. so typically, there's a, a technology development part of the project, and then mm. there's a, some kind of demonstration case project. And that's also where we collaborate with with Mia on this one is on the demonstration cases because they want their robot used obviously in these demonstration cases. Mm. Mm. So in order. It's f for the enabling part that we talked about a bit before. What mm. we develop in the project is basically uh, a box we call a, a, it's a modular link framework that we can attach to any, in parentheses, the MIR platform, as I bet because they're product partner, but, mm. but in, in any type of mobile platform that we mm. can plug in. And then we basically use the mobile platform for what it's good at moving from A to B. Mm. But what's interesting is what happens at the ends of A and B. Uh, and the platforms are not necessarily enabled to do that, but our box can then make that easier. So that's a modular approach. So we basically enhance the capabilities of the platform. Uh, to that box, we can then add uh, hooks or cameras, uh, new types of sensors, and, and through a higher level uh, skill engine we have, it's actually quite easy to program this as well. We can just drag and drop um, skills into the system, which makes it easy to do basically rapid prototyping. Mm. And using a mobile robot, it doesn't have to be rapid prototyping on a small scale. We're mm. actually doing systems rapid prototyping. Yeah. So that's what the EU project has enabled us to do. Develop this, say, box and a tool set of components, interaction components as well, that makes it possible for us to take 
uh, existing platforms like the Mir and go into the industry when they call and say, oh, can you solve this problem? And say, we can basically take the robot, one arm, take the batteries out, otherwise it's too heavy, right? And we take the, the components in another, mm -hmm. and then we go out and in, in a matter of hours, we can put up buttons on the wall, uh, do the drag and drop and press play more or less and do testing to mm. see if it actually works. And then just easily iterate quickly on that yes. until it actually works. Yes, so exactly. Because sometimes you, you really just need to test it because there are a lot of barriers and it's it's complex. Mm. Doing a, the logistics, factory logistics in one factory with one robot is not the same as doing it in another factory necessarily. It's not mm. just transferable. There are a lot of issues. Uh, mm. Again, back to the system level design I looked at in my PhD back in the day as well. You have to be very agile in this situation yes. and quickly adapt also because the the, the, the factory you're in is probably going to change pretty quickly to adapt uh, to, yes. to its uh, requirements. Yes. And then your robot has to be able to continue along evolving together with that factory yep. it's in. It is. And, and then also, I mean, the paradox is that uh, I'm a robotics engineer. We have a lot of robotics engineers around, and it's usually robotics engineers that do robotics. Mm. Uh, but truth of the fact is that when you move into the service robotics realm, uh, we, we are really, really approaching the shared workspaces. It's not even up for discussion. Mm. Mobile robots, drone stuff are really, really close to people. And that mm. creates a lot of new uh, barriers, basically, right? There's even the, the ethical and moral ones. Mm. The robot can basically scare people mm. by moving too close to them. It's, it's mm. able to. So how do you integrate these systems that invade your space into real-world scenarios? Mm. And the horrible fact is here that if you look at all the factors that are required to do that, for example, knowledge of the organization that they're supposed to go in and is the organization ready to ad adopt basically this technology, the workers, how will it actually inter interface and integrate with the workers? Are we substituting their job? Are we collaborating with them? The economy itself, is there a return on investment on this? And so on and so forth. The technology itself be becomes quite small part Mm. Mm. It's all the other things around that it has is. to be uh, worked yes. together. And the engineers, the robotic engineers are very, very good at the technology. Mm. And the rest is actually, and that's where we, we're shifting a little bit, uh, needing a lot of new competences in this mm. field, I, I believe, in order to really make the big breakthrough with um, with service robotics. Mm. I mean, we need uh, designers, we may even need anthropologists, we may need the soft the sciences with, with good knowledge of, of technology as well, right, in order to break this barrier. Mm. Because when you look at a problem today, uh, any type of problem, it could be cutting the grass. Mm. And you ask a robotics engineer, mm. how will you cut the grass? You'll probably say using a robot, mm. right? Mm. Without thinking, oh, there could be other ways. Sure, mm. but I'm in robotics, so mm. I will solve the problem. When you have a hammer, well. all the problems exactly. you own are nailed. Exactly. So then it's not about solving the problem in the right way. Mm. It's mm. about you're already biased. Right. Mm, mm. Um, but matter of the fact is, have, have you actually done the return on investment on a sheep? Mm. I mean, it might <laughs> actually be more economical. It yeah. might last longer, etc., yeah. etc. Et mm. If it was actually about solving the problem, but that's mm. not the business we're in. We're in robotics. That mm. means we are in solving problems with robots. Mm. That's what we do, mm. right? And and that is biased mm. already. And that's fine. We know that if mm. people call us up, they know we are. They don't want to sheep because you don't exactly. sell those. Exactly. So that's why it's 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 okay. Mm. But but I think we should also remember that we are maybe not always 
doing the, the best solution that, mm. that we are within robotics, sure, mm. uh, for, for sure there's nothing there. Mm. Uh, and, and you can always try to navigate and say may, maybe it's another approach that could be better. But, but mm. we are robotics people. We do automation and, and we use these components. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that you're then bringing in uh, totally, um, that you're bringing in other groups of people to assure that uh, this project is successful. And I think that that's something that we haven't seen enough of Agreed. over the years. And also bringing in the end user more or less from the beginning, where you go to uh, an area and say, we think that there's an opportunity yeah. to use robotics here, but we need your domain knowledge and, and yes. expertise in what you do. Yes. Um, but we also need to tell you, like you didn't in the first project, this is the limitation of robotics today when it comes to sensors, when it comes to actuators, when it comes to intelligence, which everybody talks about artificial intelligence yeah. today. And that, for many people, probably conjures up a robot behaving like a human being. And we're very, 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 very far away yeah. from that. Um, so you as roboticists can advise the domain expert on what can robots achieve today and how can they do it? Yeah. And they can tell you of these capabilities, we would like to use this capability in this way. And then you can start to collaborate and, and work out to, to be how to be useful, basically. Yes. Mm. And, and, and again, as, as what we do is try to bring this to market. Mm. So we, we are addressing research, but maybe not the, say, top 10, 15% of really high level research going on. That, that's not the, the, the domain we're in, but we're taking the rest and trying to, to put that to use. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the, the, the holy grail of, of mobile robotics has been the fully autonomous behavior for years, where realizing now after many, many years of working in, in, in these fields that maybe we should uh, scale that down a little bit. Maybe we don't need the full autonomy. Mm. Maybe we can actually solve 80% of this really easily. You know, mm. we, we can do it now mm. instead of blindly chasing the last 20%. Mm. And on top of that, we will keep the human in the loop and mm. make the robot a colleague. Mm. That means you get higher acceptability from the workers, mm. etc. So, so and a better end result. Exactly, and a probably a better return on investment as yeah. well. But Especially since you actually deliver, because those last last twenty percent are so hard, they they will take many more decades to do. Exactly. So it's better we get the eighty percent of the profit yes. now, and then we can make it eighty-one percent next year, ninety-two yes. percent the year after that. Le exactly, and and mm. and and that because it's still difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember it back in the days with, with the Manox project and the, the greenhouse robot, we actually had, uh, we put white lines, broad plastic lines on the ground, we put down with big nails. Mm -hmm. um, SLAM was not really invented at the time, you know, but it would have been possible to navigate other ways. But the lines, though cluttering up the environment, made it easy for people to see where it was going. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that gave a sense of, uh, of security and safety because, mm -hmm. you know, if I were at a white line, you know, there's a robot mm -hmm coming. Uh, it would move a little bit on a very angular path. It looked a bit mm. silly, which was fine. We discovered people were laughing at it. Great, mm. then don't feel threatened by this no. robot. So, you know, there are actually a lot of benefits uh, from doing it this way. Mm. We had one obstacle, though, was, was we had several, obviously, but following a wide line, mm. which was basically textbook page mm. one for mm. robotic line following. Very mm. easy. You just mm. do that. We did it in the, the courses back in the day of the remote control cars. Mm. Yes. Fine, but th they don't teach you about the changing light conditions, the mm. low-hanging sun in the late summer evenings, right? Mm. That goes underneath, creates reflections, 
driving on dry concrete, on wet concrete, the color changes, and making it robust. Mm. So we actually talked to a lot of people back in the day from, from university about helping us solve this problem. Can mm. you find a white line in this picture? Mm. And it was really, really difficult. Mm. Mm. And at, at that time, you also realized, okay, you know, we did this and that vision course at university. We did all this motion planning algorithms and stuff but even the basic stuff we can't really solve in the real world mm. and a lot of times it's, it's of course about redefining the problem and maybe not solving exactly that but moving the goalposts, mm. uh, resolving the problem sometimes mm. uh, and that's i think is, is the big art that that engineers robotics engineers actually are into they want to make solutions that work that's about that type of just call it creativity as well uh, of making solutions because you have all these building blocks sure you have advanced mobile technology or robotic arms but how do you create the solutions hmm. when you don't really know the environment you don't really know the tasks of the people that are in there and to create a return on investment um, that's very challenging and that's it is that is robotics yes what we're talking about is as opposed to the software or something else that is the core of, of the problem in robotics, but it's also why we like it because yes. it is it is hard, but not so hard we can't solve it in the end. We'll just have to reach 80% of a, of a good solution and then try to make it a percent better every year. Yep. Can you talk about um, some different projects that you, you built and, and that are now out there in the operating? Uh, we have, we don't have, projects out there operating and doing, I mean, because in the projects we don't do product development. We mm. do technological development that mm. we then afterwards take and, and put into to use. Mm. So uh, we used, especially from the R5 Corp project, we, we've taken this the, the framework and the whole co-working platform that was also developed through a lot of other EU projects in the manipulator domain. Mm. Um, we did test case, for example, at uh, Arla, the, the dairy mm. uh, producer she also have in, in Sweden mm. originally Swedish company I guess yeah they all merged up uh, and together we, we did a, an extra project a different one where we were testing uh, the Mir robot in their production for order picking mm. basically seeing uh, to aid the workers that today because we've gone from from uh, from the series production to order production uh, the batches become smaller and smaller and you don't mm. need AGVs that can tow five tons, but maybe only one that can tow 300 kilos. So mere platforms and the, and the like of them are very interesting. So we were testing that in a, in a small project, basically using technology from the EU project. And, and to even make full circle the, the examples we did with Arla and the results we, we achieved there, we did, uh, we did some test runs. We didn't make a solution for them, uh, but we got a lot of experience, uh, tested a lot of stuff. Uh, that we can then feed back into the EU project and do an additional case in the EU project, basically uh, saying, okay, if we enhance these and these parameters. Uh, so that's more or less the way that we are, we are testing it. Uh, we, we have clients now where we are taking it out on a commercial basis, but a lot of times it's more for the prototyping uh, part and a lot of it is for internal use. So mm. we may or may not use it directly in commercial products, mm. but it still helps us reach a, a surety about the, the, the market and then the solution, the potential of it basically. You've been in robotics now for, for, for quite some time and you've seen a lot of what's going on here yeah. and there all over the field, not outside your own field. Uh, could you talk a little bit about wh where you think robotics is going mm. and where, we, where do you think we're going to see big breakthroughs 
in the coming years because you, that that area is mature. Like for instance, vacuum cleaners. Yeah. They were impossible, 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 and then suddenly they were everywhere, and now they're just a standard product, right? Mm. Of course, it's improving with every generation, but it's it's a very big difference from having a robotic lawn um, vacuum cleaner to having a slightly better one. Mm. Where do you see progress coming in the in the coming years for robotics? I think um, the biggest advance that there will be, uh, hopefully, is is not actually in the technology field. Uh, it's within safety and. Uh, Standards, mm. it's key because mm. we, we are at a, a crossroad these days where we, we have technology now, uh, not just university level, where we actually have products that do work, they're ready to be pushed into the market. Uh, the problem is when, when you add any little thing to it, it needs to be CE marked again or risk assessments have to be done. Standards are not in place. They are mm. being worked on, it's work in progress, but who can do this? Mm. It's the same kind of barrier that is... Uh, with the, 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 the uh, with the the trucks, the autonomous trucks around, and autonomous cars. Sure, they've been in the media, they've been shown, but but still, the the train system we had through Europe uh, mm. a couple of months ago now had an escort, mm. and there's a reason for that. Mm. There's nowhere near soon will this happen in the real world until we have uh, solved some of the safety issues. Mm. Which of course is is everyone uh, except that safety is the paramount thing we have to accomplish. It is. Without that we don't have a product. Nope, we don't. Um, and and that, that's really a killer mm. um, for a lot of this progress unfortunately. And, mm. and there are initiatives out there. Uh, we, we started one now, another huge 30 partner uh, project called SafeCop, uh, mm. where we're also doing uh, some, some testing in the project with, with Danish partner. But actually the, the, the big guidelines of the projects, the, the, the premise is safety certifying uh, heterogeneous systems. So when mm. you take two components that are not CE marked, well, are both CE marked and you put them together, how it, do you CE mark this? Mm. Back to your part with the modularity. All modularity is wonderful, except that every time you change the module, you have a different product and it's not safety certified. So mm. there's a lot of obstacles. Mm. You transfer that to, to the, the driverless cars. Well, that's actually a modular system being when they approach each other that connect. So it's a virtual connection. How do you safety certify that? Mm. Uh, we're looking at other products are looking at it as well, but but it's really, uh, it, it's a tough nut to crack. So I, I think it will be a very important thing to to solve, uh, and I hope it will be in, in the next years, because a lot of people are realizing this is really important. And yeah. we, we, we do need to solve it and address it, otherwise we are at a standstill. Mm. Uh, mm. Vacuum cleaners, sure, they are allowed to drive around because they don't do any harm, but even if you take a 100 kilo mobile robot that drives in a factory, well, if you attach a trolley to that and it mm. uh, bumps into someone, well, it's, it's, it's really a, a, a real hazard. Mm. Even if there's lazy safety scanners around, I mean, can you guarantee that this is safe? Yeah, this, it, the safety is very challenging because uh, the, um, most of the, the danger cases is going to be very, very uncommon and rare. And how do you test to find them? Yeah. How do you evaluate the platform to find these risks? 
uh, statistics at the end, right? Yeah. I mean, what what's the probability that this will happen is mm. low. And, and, and as I also read some time ago, we will at some point eventually have to get used to headlines in the newspapers mm. where it says like two people killed by a driverless car. Mm, of course, of because course. we can't. Uh, and, and what we have to remember here is that if a driverless car kills half as many people as a driver, exactly. person-driven car, it's still better, yep. especially for the, the half of the people that are still alive. I think this, uh, hopefully, I really, really hope that this will be one of the advances, that we will see things moving also more easily uh, into the market, because again, mm. we, we have a, a huge interest in that, making more complex applications in more complex uh, scenarios. Um, and, and before we know more about this this area it, it's very hard we can yeah. yeah we can dream up stuff do research and development projects and set research goals uh, mm -hmm. high high above but we don't create much value doing that no so. and and this is also a, a need where we as a robotics community have to start to work with with the regulatory authorities Correct. early on i think for instance drones the, yes. the, the 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 people active in the drone community could have interacted earlier with the regulatory authorities and avoided some uh, delays and avoided uncertainty. But it's also a global, it's a lot of things happening around. We, we, we're a part of the standardization groups on, on the civil drone use as well. Uh, and there's a lot of a lot of things happening and mm. all across Europe, probably across the world in this. And, and there's no real alignment. They're trying to, there will be something on a European level as well. And it's another area, obviously, where a, a lot of things will, will happen. and, and Yes, as long as you, f you fly in an, an open field far away from people, and you can see the drone, you can do whatever you want. But usually people want to fly around with us, people, buildings and other stuff. And, mm. and it's, uh, it's just not trivial. Uh, mm. but today you can get dispensations. You have to call the police and tell exactly what you're doing. You have to do uh, manuals, write down exactly where you've been at what time, and, and then you can do it. Mm. Um, but that also limits the application we can, can use yes. it for because it pushes cost and push it com pushes complexity. Yeah. But it, but it's 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 a new world, right? And and uh, I think we talked about uh, earlier, also before this interview was supposed, the press handling, the way that that mm. robotics uh, are communicated in mm. general in the press, which has for a lot of years also given movies, Hollywood, other things, put some kind of uh, an expect level of expectation, so to say, on on a lot of of roboticists, mm. uh, and and roboticists have. Uh, Everyone has been complaining, saying, "No, we can't do that." You know, sometimes, and it, you know, stories like the that, that the reality is of, often more surprising than the fiction. We we've tried a lot of stunts to try and, and make up for it, mm. uh, but the truth of it is also that then when we do something that is, is spectacular, we do like the press to be there and mm. do like them to tell the the, the, the nice stories about mm. what we're doing, and it still keeps tilting the picture a little bit, right? Because mm. now the media is full of autonomous cars and drones everywhere and humanoid robots and all this stuff. So General artificial intelligence. Yes, and, and it's actually, it's partly our own fault. It's not just mm. the media. We, we also helped hype this because mm. every time we do a new project and we have mm. come close to something, we will also tell the story, right? Mm. That this and that. And, and mm. 
then that's what people hear and mm. the expectations change and they don't expect or accept that we don't have walking robots or what's the problem with autonomous cars and these mm. things and, and I'm sorry that with the ISO it, it's, uh, it doesn't sell that well to, mm. to the public and to the media and say but we do need them to be safe it's, it's, mm. it's, it's paramount we mm. need them to be safe. And also the this is also something that can be challenging for, for somebody in the company uh, that wants to reach out to you and, and, and do a project together. That is to determine what's hard and what's easy in robotics. It's not intuitive nope. at, uh, at, in all uh, cases that this is really, really hard and we, we're decades away from doing it or something else might be, be reasonably easy to, to accomplish. But I think that what you're doing here at the center, combining research, productization and bringing it to market is is what we need and then I presume that anybody in Denmark can reach or anybody over the world can reach out to you and collaborate on a project with you right absolutely absolutely we're, we're very open to that mm -hmm. um, again what, what what we need out of it is something that afterwards we're not selling products mm -hmm. but but we're selling them the knowledge and it should the benefit we should take something that we can we mm. can use in a broader context mm. it's not a humanitarian organization but mm. but uh, it's still the, the premise of of, uh, of what we do yeah, but this we can just encourage people to reach out and to do, create uh, more cool robotics uh, projects together yeah because no one no one has all the answers no it, it, we really need to cooperate on, on these do, things we do and we can say that that experience in the field and also have high knowledge of the, the state-of-the-art research results does actually help when you build the actual lower level systems or, or the, because you, you do need to know both the pitfalls and, and what is possible and what is not. And, mm. and, uh, but we will see more of the useful service robotics out there in, in, uh, quite soon as well because we started picking off the low-hanging fruits Mm. instead of chasing the yeah. pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And then yeah. we will slowly, like they're also doing with the drones, then we will also slowly push legislations, we will help standardization, instead of saying, oh, we want everything to be autonomous. We have mm. the self-driving cars doing that mm. level, and mm. meanwhile we're trying to push a bit from the bottom, so to speak, because there's so many domains that could use robots. There's uh, uh, so many tasks that could be applied for that it's it's just uh, it's a matter of, of getting started and, and uh, getting the right uh, collaborating partners together. Perfect. So we'll just encourage everybody to reach out and sure. and, and and build cool robots yep. robots together with exactly. you. Exactly. Thank you very much for taking Thank the time Pierre. to do an interview. It was a pleasure speaking to you. You too. Pierre. Thank you. I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optomica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optomica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.